Hey all, um, the Lord be with you. And also with you. Let's pray. Spirit of Christ, dwell among us now as your body, as your temple, as your people. Reveal uh, righteousness and sin. Divide, Lord, by your word here um, and unite by your word here. We need your comfort and deliverance today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, uh, hear from, I remember my Bible today. I'm no longer naked in the pulpit. Uh, Hear uh, this good news from Isaiah chapter 40. Oh, the music pulpit, music stand pulpit. Uh, Here is your God. Here is the Lord God, verse 10, coming with strength with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment or recompense before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing use. Friends, we are in Advent, the second week, the week of hope. Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time of reflection and repentance, a time of fasting and longing, of waiting for the coming of the Lord. Advent is full of holidays, by the way. We had St. Nicholas Day this past week. Uh, there's more coming up in the time of Advent, so it is thoroughly Christian to say Happy holidays. And we will. (laughs) Can I just say that? And we will be saying, we will be saying, uh, have a blessed Advent until there's, it's actually Christmas and it's not Christmas yet. Just to make some clarity. It is not Christmas yet. And there are 12 days of Christmas, so it's, okay, okay. So, friends, we're preaching through the book of Isaiah. Uh, And Isaiah is a a book about the Israelites, the first 39 chapters about their um, coming exile, and then starting in chapter 40 about their beginning of returning from exile. They were exiled in Babylon, which was this this, pagan empire that uh, conquered Jerusalem and carried the Israelites off to empire. Um, and then the Persians conquered the Babylonians because empires always fall. And when the Persians conquered the Babylonians, they showed up and they were like, what are you guys doing here? And they're like, Babylonians. And they're like, oh, those guys are idiots. Go home. So uh, about, about, get out of here. We need your land. So, so, so the Israelites are kicked out again. But this is 50 years after they were carried off. And they began to trickle back to Jerusalem, back to Israel. And so what we find in verse 40 is a word to people living in Babylon that you can go back to your home. But the only issue was, it was like a theoretical home. It was a, it was a, somebody's told me this is where I'm from, but I've lived here for 50 years. And today we'll see in our text, the good news that God is present to deliver and comfort, even when we feel estranged and exiled from our home. So uh, Sharon and I were both born and raised in Indianapolis. Um, I grew up on the south side, south side, and 
I see that. I see those knowing looks. Uh, <clears throat> I should say I made it out of the South Side. <laughs> I got out. Uh, no, I, I grew up in Southport, and my wife grew up down um, by like Hannah and uh, uh, Meridian, and then moved up to the Northeast Side when she was in fifth grade, seventh grade. Somewhere around there. And uh, so both of us are from Indianapolis, but in 2004, we, just, we left Indy and went to Chicago so I could go to grad school, and we were gone from here for 10 years. Um, 2014 was uh, the longest, hardest year of our life so far. We had a, a situation where we were working with a, another ministry um, far away, and, and ministry hit the fan, man. And we lost our job. We lost our, um, our reason for being there. And so our community, we all scattered. And so we didn't plan to come home, but we ended up coming home in 2014. Uh, yeah. And I moved into my in-law's attic. <laughs> and we lived in my in-law's attic for eight months, eight glorious months and uh, we would tell our story you know this is this is three years ago now but it's, it still feels very present to me we tell our, we still tell our story of hey what are you doing here oh, we're planning a table and we're um, doing these other things that we uh, that we're doing with the, with the stern keys and with this community and um, and oh yeah and then we, ultimately like it gets back to yeah we were born and raised here and everyone's comment to me when I tell them that is oh so you've come back home and I, I honestly don't know how to respond to that for a number of reasons. Um, I've never lived on the north side before. It is a different world than the south side. My wife and I were down on the south side for Thanksgiving with my sister. She lives down in uh, Bargersville, almost in Bargersville. And we're driving around, and we were both commenting, this just this is the same, like, it's the same city, right? The same suburbs. And like the houses cost as much as our house cost, but it feels different. Like the south side feels different than Fisher's. Um, and, 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 and so we, we spend time with her family and our family on Thanksgiving. And maybe some of you can relate to this. Like you have a family, you grow up, then you start a family. And the longer you've started your family and been with your family, the less like your family feels like your family. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? So like, so Sharon and I have our own family. We have our own dynamics, our own commitments, and our own dysfunctions that are now distinct from our families of origin. And so our families were becoming more and more dissimilar from our families of origin the longer we live. So we live in a different kind of place. Our families are, are kind of... Um, continue to be more and more different from us. The friends we had when we left here in 20, 2004, uh, cool fact, they haven't been sitting for 10 years waiting for us to return, <laughs> but they've actually moved on with their lives. They've, they've got friends and churches and lives, and, and they're doing things, and so they're not, they're not just waiting for us to reenter a friendship after a decade. And so even though we're home... It doesn't feel like home. And so we're left longing for home, even when we're at home. 
Does anybody know what this feeling is like? I don't, I don't think it's just Sharon and I coming back to Indy from living away for 10 years, but I think this is a common human experience that we can be at home and long for home at the same time. As I look around the room, I know a lot of us are transplants here. A lot of us are not from Indy. We're from Texas and New York and, and California and Illinois and all, all over the place. Deacon, Deacon was born in Illinois. He likes to share that he's from <laughs> Illinois. Yes. But this longing for home uh, is in our popular Christmas songs, right? There's no place like home for the holidays, right? Um, I'll be home for Christmas, which was written in World, during World War II, right? The, the oldest novel in Western civilization, the, the Iliad and the Odyssey, written by Homer, is about a man's journey home movies like saving private ryan the martian planes trains and automobiles like all these stories are about wanting to get home wanting to get home home is where the heart is and uh not only uh geographically but also i think archetypally or or narratively like the biblical story is is essentially humans getting kicked out of the house because they can't follow the rules and longing to get home longing to get back home frederick buchner says this no matter how much the world shatters us to pieces we carry inside of us a vision of wholeness we sense is our true home that beckons us so home isn't just geographical, it's, <laughs> permit a nerd word, ontological. It's in our DNA, along with loyalty and royalty, I'm told. So, friends, where are you, where are you in touch with this sense of wanting to be home today? Where are you in touch with your longing for home Maybe it doesn't feel like outright exile, or maybe it does feel like outright exile. Maybe it feels like I've lived in Babylon for 50 years, this is my home, but now I'm told I have to go home and neither feel like home. Maybe it's with your friends. You're in a new place and you don't feel like you have a place to fit with friends. Maybe it's in your vocation. You're doing this thing because you thought you should or because it makes good money or because it's what you found. But it doesn't really fit in with like your deep joy and pleasure of how to bring beauty in the world. Maybe it's with your spouse. Longing for a way to be married that makes sense. Today, friends... Into the midst of our longings for home and our feelings of being far from it, we proclaim that God is present right there to deliver and comfort, even when we feel estranged and exiled from home. Let's look at our text, Isaiah 40. And I'm just going to blow through this real quick because I often think like the poetry of prophets, it, we kind of, I, I mean, I don't know. This is just me, confession time. I, sometimes I just tune out the poetry. I'm like, just get on with it flowery just 
just tell me something, you know? <laughs> Stop it with the poetry. But, uh, but, it's, but it's beautiful and it's rich, and so as an Advent discipline, uh, we can submit to it. Happy holidays. Here we go. Uh, Isaiah 40. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak compassionately to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her compulsory service has ended, that her penalty has been paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. God is speaking. This is a rhetorical device used by the prophets. God's speaking to his divine counsel here, and he's, he's announcing that the exile is over, that Israel has paid for her sins, and he intends to bring comfort, because he says comfort, comfort my people, and deliverance, that, the, that, her, that her, her penalty has been paid. She is, her exile is over. God is present to deliver and comfort to these people when they feel estranged and exiled from home. Verses 3 through 5, a voice is crying out, clear the Lord's way in the desert, make a level highway in the, in the wilderness for our God. Every valley will be raised up, every mountain and hill will be flattened, uneven ground will become level and rough terrain, a valley plain. The Lord's glory will appear and all humanity will see it together. The Lord's mouth has commanded it. So uh, the heavenly council here is like dialoguing on how to do this. And uh, this image of a highway in the desert. Okay, so, so track with me here. Deacon and I were playing world geography uh, uh, trivia or detective work on Alexa. Um, if, you, if you have an Alexa, just say, hey, Alexa, I want to have some fun. And you can have a lot of fun. And uh, we learned that we don't really know geography very well, do we, Deacon? But this, this I do know. So, so Jerusalem is like here and like Babylon is like here. But there's no direct way to get from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so when they went to exile, they went north to find a river. And then they went along this river. And then they came. I don't know what that one's called. But this one is called the Euphrates. And that's how they got to Babylon. And that is a 900-mile trek. 900 miles. That's a long car ride, yeah? You don't know saddle sore until you've ridden 900 miles on a camel, right? Which is like a four-month or so journey, and, like, people die, and there's brigands and robbers, and... Well, you could go 900 miles per hour. You could, if you had an imaginary camel that could do that. So, um, so all that to say is, like, when people heard this call, you got to go home, like, what they heard was, congratulations, you won a 900-mile camel journey through the desert. <laughs> Which is a bit like, thanks for the good news, God, right? So, so like, um, so there's this declaration of you no longer have to do this circuitous route that'll take months and months and months. But God is going to go before you and he's making a highway in the desert and he's taking all the horrible climbs and the, and the horrible descents out. And it's going to be like, I'm bringing you deliverance and comfort. Deliverance. Thanks a lot. And comfort. Oh, good. Right? Do you see that here? God is present to deliver and comfort, even when they feel estranged and exiled from home. Uh, so then, verse 5, or verse 6, a voice was saying, call out. And another said, what should I call out? All flesh is grass. All its loyalty is like the flowers of the field. The grass dries up, the flower withers. When the Lord's breath blows on it, surely the people are grass. The grass dries up and the flower withers. But our God's word 
will exist forever. So this is Isaiah here. He says, like, what should I say? I'm just a dude. I'm just a human. And like, humans are like grass. Right? We perish. We smell. We get gingivitis and plantar warts and whooping cough. Tennis elbow. We have to look at other people wearing mustaches. I mean, Isaiah's point here is, you don't want my words. You don't want my words. You want God's words. I don't want to just blow smoke or give a pep talk or be like, there, there, or give them a God bless your heart. Right? No, there needs to be actual weight and hope and lasting eternity to these words. Right? God, you have to speak, not me. Not me. And so we hear then, right at the end, God says, go up on a high mountain, messenger of Zion. Raise your voice and shout, messenger of Jerusalem. Raise it. Don't be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. Here is the Lord God coming with strength, with a triumphant arm, bringing his reward with him and his payment before him. Like a shepherd, God will tend the flock. He will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. This is the first usage of good news in the Old Testament. Right? Our, our discipleship process here is all about proclaiming good news. Right? We don't need like Matt's good ideas or Ben's good advice or Deb's great ideas for our, for our discipleship. We need God's voice in our life speaking deliverance and comfort, right? Isaiah gets this. We're trying to get this too. God is present. Isaiah is to proclaim God's presence. And notice the two images here, right? Here's your Lord, strength, mighty arm, with this thing behind him and his thing before him, and also this tender shepherd with nursing use, right? God is present as a warrior and a shepherd. There's majesty and mercy, strong and gentle, paternal and maternal, strong enough to deliver, gentle enough to comfort. God is present to deliver and comfort, even when we feel estranged and exiled from home. Just parenthetically here, before we get into responding, um, this is one of the countless areas in the Old Testament when God is compared to a culturally dominant female metaphor. Right? This, this end of verse 10, or verse 11, uh, he will gather lambs in his arms and lift them onto his lap. He will gently guide the nursing ewes. So, so setting aside the fact that if you, go to, if you go to the Near East today, the preponderance of shepherds aren't smelly old men. Do you know who they are? The preponderance of shepherds in agrarian societies in the, in, in the East are teenage girls. And there's good evidence that even 3,000 years ago, they were teenage girls. This is why, like, when Moses gets to be a shepherd for 40 years, it is the ultimate insult. He goes from being a prince to doing a 13-year-old girl's work. 
There's like deep, deep, deep meaning there. Deep humbling that happens. This isn't about Moses. Back up. This is about God uses images that would evoke pictures of tender, maternal, like feminine postures to describe himself. And this should not scandalize or surprise us. Because friends, you and I are created male and female, and it takes both to image God. So we'll call God him because scripture does, but God isn't a gender. God doesn't have boy marriage tackle. (laughs) He doesn't. God is male and female. And he's fine with it. And we're going to be fine with it too. Friends, God is present to deliver and comfort even when we feel strange and exiled from home. Will you call out for God's presence today? Where do you need deliverance and comfort? Where are you waiting for that? Friends, um, for me, there's three areas I'm in touch with, and my wife could probably tell you 30 more. Uh, But there's three areas that I'm in touch with where I'm needing deliverance and comfort. First, as I mentioned last week, I'm fasting from coffee, um, which isn't technically true. I'm fasting from caffeinated coffee. I've had a couple cups of decaf, including this morning. It was, um, I usually, I usually hate decaf coffee because it tastes like they put real coffee through like, like washed it in bleach and then put it in a cup, but it was delicious this morning. <laughs> so I, I need God's strength, like his, his deliverance. Cause I, 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 or his, his, yeah, I need his strength and his, his majesty. Cause it's hard to get up in the morning, but I need his mercy too, because as I'm fasting from coffee, this Advent, uh, caffeine in general, I'm noticing the work caffeine does in my life to help me ignore and avoid my anxiety and fear. And it's been a, it's been a, a storm of anxiety and fear. So I need to call on his comfort and deliverance in that fast. For, two, like we're, we're looking for a home and I know, uh, there's, there's kind of this, um, we already thought a place, but we're also in the not yet of we haven't landed this whale yet of meeting somewhere. And so I'm finding, um, as one of the leaders of our church, not wanting to control and manage all outcomes because that's not how God deals with me. Wanting to lead in a posture of submission and openness and receptivity and trust. And it's stinking hard when you're responsible for something not to just make it happen. I need God's deliverance for my own desire to control. Three, uh, part of my issue, part of my presenting issue, uh, just being me, is that I always feel estranged. <laughs> I always feel estranged. Um, I mentioned coming back home and not feeling like I have a group of friends here. Uh, in my neighborhood, I've mentioned this before, and I don't know if I really connect with guys in my neighborhood very well. Um, or women, but mostly the dudes just don't connect with them. Um, and then I feel like, I feel like uh, every week, more and more, um, I'm confronted with this fact that like, and I was talking to some of like, our guys in our discipleship this morning about this, like, I, like we were mentioning this, like, I don't, like when the name Christian gets thrown around, like I'm a little embarrassed these days. Um, I mean, nationally, we get publicity for all the kinds of things that I don't want to be associated with, right? Um, and you guys probably know what I'm talking about. But all the things that violate, like, my, my conscience for, like, how, how Christians are called, especially in Advent, to, like, deal with the poor and the lowly. 
and to protect people that are, are vulnerable from abuse and assault. Um, I, I find that I hung out on Friday night with some friends and half of them aren't, half of them, most of them aren't Christians. And I'm happy to talk about my two other jobs that aren't being a priest. But when I talk about my job being a priest, like things just get really awkward. I can tell that people don't know how to talk to me. They're not like, oh, a priest, you guys must be about loving other people and laying down your life. Let me tell you how that's been happening on my life this week. They're like, oh, you're a priest. You're one of those jails. <laughs> like, that's the vibe I get. And so I feel like uh, I feel a little exiled within my own community because I can't reject the name of Christian. Jesus is Lord. But I don't want to go to dinner with any of my Christian brother and sister, like a lot of them right now. Like, I don't want to have table fellowship. So I feel a bit exiled there. Can you relate to that? Friends, where do you feel estranged or exiled this morning? Where are you waiting for home? Waiting for, when I say home, you know, I'm, this is a pregnant metaphor. For completeness, for wholeness, for settledness, for peace, for contentment. This is how it should be. I can relax and rest here. I can exhale. I can smile. I can smile here. Where are you waiting to smile? Because right there, God is present to deliver and comfort. Deliver you and comfort you. Right where you feel estranged and exiled from home. So let's let's respond, friends, to this good news. It is good news, yes? Let's respond with this prayer. Lord, in your presence we find hope. I submit my blank to or for your comfort and deliverance. We wait for you together this Advent. This is our way of responding to the good news, offering our lives, laying down our life. Let's just uh, take a season of time to do that together, and then I'll, I'll close us in prayer. Let's pray.